I'm Tom Perumian, KTSA News, and now the Jack Riccardi Show. All right, Tom, good afternoon, and uh, welcome, everybody. And in the words of Donald Trump, could we please bring in some Cokes? That's how I feel about things. But welcome to our dreadful little show, 407 on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Um, we got a lot to talk about. We're going to dive right in. You can join the show at 210-599-5555. I was having a conversation uh, this morning with a friend of mine who's very like politically, I, I don't know if he, I'd say he's politically connected, but he, he donates to the campaigns and he goes to fundraisers and he meets with people that I guess meet with people who meet with people who meet with these candidates like Trump and DeSantis and all that. He's a, he's a big, he was, a, he was a big Trump guy. He still likes Trump. He's a big DeSantis guy now. And I was expressing my frustration with many things, but one of them was, um, you know, I don't think the Republicans are doing a good job at um, explaining uh, the Biden family business. They they make a lot of references to the Bidens being corrupt, but I, I don't I don't think, and you can tell me if you disagree, that the average person walking around has any real handle. They've heard it. They've heard you know they've they've heard a little sniff of it. But what exactly are we talking about? And his take on that was that the Republicans are waiting. That there'd be no point in getting it out there now unless they were going to impeach Biden, which they're not, because they don't have the votes for it anyway. So his take, from what I guess he hears, is that, uh, oh, the, the Republican case on the corruption of the Bidens will be made in the primaries and in the general election uh, and, and that that'll be the right time. They'll have honed it. They'll have refined it. They'll have you know, they'll have more information about it. But it's um, it's frustrating because this is the most out-in-the-open thing I've ever seen. I mean, this this blows the doors off like Whitewater and, you know, uh, the stuff the Kennedys were involved with. And there's a new um, WhatsApp message from Hunter Biden uh, where he's bragging about how great a job he can do for uh, his Chinese client. He's talking to a guy named Gung Wen Dong, who he calls Kevin. <laughs> and he says in the WhatsApp message, this is from the House Oversight Committee, the Bidens are the best I know at doing exactly what the chairman wants. The Bidens are the best I know at doing exactly what the chairman wants. Uh, and remember, we had the WhatsApp message the other day. I'm sitting here with my father, and we'd like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. Tell the director I would like to resolve this now before it gets out of hand, and now means tonight. And Z, if I get a call or text from anyone involved in this other than you or the chairman, I will make certain, what did he say, uh, between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge, that you will regret not following my direction. I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father. I mean, I would think people would just be PO'd that the President of the United States and his family are making deals with the communist Chinese. I mean, what kind of country are we? I mean, forget about what your party affiliation or how you feel about Donald Trump or Pride Month or anything else. These people, these people steal from us. These people are plotting war games against us. These people have uh, all these fantasies about uh, American cities going up under nuclear mushroom clouds. I mean, it's disgusting. 
that the Bidens, I mean, if they got to make their money, make it off somebody that doesn't wish us all, you know, into ashes, right? But anyway, uh, he says, yeah, they're going to make, they're going to make the argument. They're going to roll it all out, but the time is not right, uh, right now. Byron York says on Twitter, how did Hunter Biden's Burisma tax evasion scheme actually work? According to the IRS whistleblower, the Ukrainians gave Hunter money. Hunter then gave it to the Chinese company. The Chinese company then, quote-unquote, loaned the money to Hunter. Bingo, no income tax. I can remember about five minutes ago, the most popular refrain from the Democrats was to call out rich people, Republicans, and corporations for not paying any income tax. Why is it that the fat cats don't pay any income tax? Why aren't they paying, said Elizabeth Warren about a million times, their fair share? And isn't it interesting that now what we're learning is that that mantra about the rich paying their fair share apparently doesn't apply here. The Bidens are rich. They're not paying any taxes if this scheme the IRS whistleblower is alleging is actually true. And here's a, uh, this is Cash Patel, who's a pretty smart guy, worked in the Trump administration. Um, he's on Truth Social, and I also follow him on Twitter. He put out on Truth Social, are there any state attorney generals or DAs that are willing to prosecute Hunter Biden and family for the crimes they've committed in their red state? They do it to Donald Trump. Why are you all so afraid to act? You've got 24 hours to get moving, then I'm naming names right here on Truth Social. Man up, uh, writes Cash Patel. You can't call that anymore. You can't say that anymore. Man up. You have to say uh, them up or something. We got a lot of good responses. We're still getting them um, to the conversation we had yesterday about what broke the country. So if you weren't with us yesterday, I was, I was throwing out this concept that you, you've always, all your life, when like when you were a kid you'd hear the adults at the at the dinner table uh and then you grew into it all your life you've heard that there's been this decline civilizations in decline uh sh- you know uh, chivalry is in decline honor uh and, and america is we're not the country we used to be etc 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 and you've heard that and you may have believed it you may have come to believe it you may have rejected it you can't deny that in the last few years something is broken and so we were talking about this yesterday, and I was asking the question, I don't want an answer from 100 years ago or 50 years ago. Talk to me about these last few years and how we got what we, what we have, which is this out-in-the-open, blatant political corruption. They're laughing in our face. They don't care if we know. The stunning collapse of K-12 through education rampant depression and mental illness, chronic homelessness, what they call paycheck poverty, where people have a job and they have an income that at one time would have been considered a respectable middle income and they're they're barely making it to the next paycheck. They run out of, you know, they run out of everything before they uh, get to the next paycheck. Uh, the way looting has become normal in broad daylight, the worst drug, drug epidemic we've ever had, we're imploding. We're just imploding. These last few years, what what do you think is the explanation? And we we got some great answers yesterday. I don't know if you heard Daniel in our first hour yesterday, and he uh, he had sort of a COVID nineteen theory about it. Uh, and then later on, another caller to the show had a Hurricane Katrina theory, which 
is a little outside my three-year window, but I liked it. Um, and so I, I want to kind of continue that conversation today, and we can do it with your calls at 210-599-5555, or you can email me, jack at ktsa.com. You can use the Jack chat line. But I, I think it's a big enough question that we can carry it up another day. I mean, basically, y- you've got – here's what you have to work with. So you've got the last – Roughly three years. Um, you've got COVID. You've got the uh, George Floyd riots. You've got the 2020 election. Um, you've got what Biden is doing. Uh, what do you? How do you put all that together and say, well, the 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 acceleration of the decline or the implosion in these last few years? Here, here's how I see it. Because I think the, the two guys yesterday really had great answers. The, the COVID-19 answer was basically that we made COVID-19 the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. And then, even though we overhyped it in terms of its lethality and so forth, by making it enemy number one, you could justify anything and everything done in the name of stopping it. And they did. And, and, it's, and it's interesting because they did stuff that people have been predicting would happen to democracy for a long time, but but people didn't think it would be a virus. And that turned out to work really well, which means they'll probably try it again. Uh, and then the, the, the Katrina theory was that after Katrina, if you remember what happened to the politicians in Louisiana and George W. Bush, the mantra was, you're not doing enough and you don't care. Something bad happened and you're not doing enough and you don't care. And from that point on, this gentleman who called in in our 6 o'clock hour last night said, he said it really well. From that point on, politicians knew that the only thing they had to do to stay out of trouble was throw money and, and, and overreact to anything. That you'd never get in trouble for spending too much money. You'd only get in trouble for not spending enough. You'd never get in too much trouble for overstepping your authority. You'd only get in trouble if people thought you didn't use enough of your authority. And so everything since then, this guy said, has been that, you know, throw throw the throw the book at it, throw all the money at it, overreact. Then you see it in the candidates today. I mean, the, the candidates in the Republican side talking about the border, they're all trying to out-Trump Trump, right? Like Trump had the most draconian things uh, any major candidate had ever said when he came out in 2015. And now you've got... DeSantis and um, Nikki Haley, they're all, they're all essentially trying to get to the right of him because you will not get in trouble if you overreact to something. You will only get in trouble if you underreact to it, is the Katrina theory. It's a good theory. Um, what do you think? What explains the implosion of the last few years? You know, another thing I was thinking about this morning was, and, and just bear with me for a minute, climate change. We are upsetting a lot of apple carts. We are overturning a lot of people's lives. We are uh, committing massive amounts of money. I mean, amounts of money that dwarf world wars and, and arms races and everything else. Where this is, this is the biggest thing, right? To try to do uh, this uh, save the planet from the climate, uh, the man-made climate change. We're, we're making huge promises, we're writing huge checks, we're upsetting huge apple carts, and basically what we're finding is 
even if you believe that man affects the climate, it's all out of proportion. I mean, there's a billion people on this planet who could die tonight from something that we are not dealing with, like producing enough food or, you know, treating uh, diseases or curing them or drinkable water. And what we're doing right now is setting goals that are first world goals. Let's all get an electric car. Let's all have solar houses. Let's all, but in the rest of the world, the climate is not what's killing them. The climate is not what they're afraid of. Their children might die tonight in their sleep from things like hunger and lack of water and a mosquito bite or you know tuberculosis. I see malaria has come back in this country for the first time in 25 years, they said. And so the, the, the response to the climate is totally out of proportion to what we can do about it, if we can even do anything about it. And it feels like another example of that Katrina thing, right? Where, well, to show that you care, you have to promise more than the last guy did. You have to call for more spending than the last guy did. You've got to, whatever your answer is, it's got to be bigger and bolder and, and, and more uh, out there than anything anybody's ever heard. And, and we're, in a, we're in a kind of arms race with the climate, right? Remember the arms race was, uh, we're going to build a missile bigger than your missile, and we're going to build a missile that goes further than your missile, and it never ended. And eventually we found out in the Cold War that, that we had overbuilt. The, both sides had essentially built enough to destroy each other multiple times over. But the way that happened was, among other things, the need to keep up rhetorically. And that's what we're doing here. So instead of doing common sense things and committing to common sense things, I'm talking now about the United States or the United Nations. We're we're just sort of making these pie-in-the-sky promises about we're going to change the weather. And I think we're going to look back in 100 years. This is going to sound and seem delusional that people were running around, flying around the globe, having meetings, by the way, generating a lot of pollution to go to these meetings, and they were promising, we're going to change the weather, we will take control of the planet. 210-599-5555. So that's, that question is still open from yesterday, if you want to sound off on that, and we'll talk about it. If you're a Madonna fan, keep a good thought for Madonna. She was rushed to the hospital and put in intensive care with a bacterial Infection. This happened apparently over the weekend. They announced it uh, today. She's paused her tour, so I hope Madonna gets better. Uh, yeah, we're also waiting on uh, the Supreme Court to rule on the President Biden $20,000 student loan debt forgiveness uh, thing. Now, remember, there's, there's a few moving pieces to this. Student loan payments are supposed to resume in September because the uh, COVID pause is finally over. But this applies, so that would mean whatever you owe, you got to start making the payments, the minimum payments on it again. But this is about his partial uh, loan debt forgiveness deal that applies to some people and can be, for some people it's 10000 for some people it's $20,000. Um, and the Supreme Court is going gonna, is gonna to rule on that piece of it. So however they rule, the payments will still resume uh, in, you know, in the fall. Uh, what do you uh, want them to do? What do you want the Supreme Court to do here? I mean, I, strictly speaking, from everything I've read, 
President Biden doesn't have the power to just unilaterally forgive the, the, the loans. This was a this was the they, they tried to construe it as a wartime emergency decision and and you know our politicians are just going to declare everything's a war and we're constantly at war and we're constantly in crisis and they're going to they're going to if if you give them the ability to seize powers under those auspices they will never stop doing that and by the way they means both parties full on all the time but also i i i keep coming and 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 i'm in the i'm in the game now i mean my daughter's going to college in the fall and she's not going on loans, but, I mean, loans may be part of the plan in the future. I don't know yet. Um, I, I just have a problem still, and I've heard a lot of people make their argument with um, people that took on a loan, took on debt, knew that they would have to repay it, now saying, I can't and I never could and there's no way you can. Why did you take it then? Why did you agree to it then? I mean, I hear all the... the there was a story in, in uh, Forbes, on Forbes' website. Restart of student loan payments weighs on those with high balances. And they interviewed this 39-year-old guy, Michael Kilman, who looks like he's still in the band. He's a Denver father of four, three teenagers and a nine-year-old. He's very anxious. Uh, he's worried about... Uh, his student loans. He took out 88000 in student loans during his journey through higher ed, his journey through higher ed. Were you on a journey when you were in college? I was like, I need to get this over with. It wasn't a journey. Um, started in community college, culminated with a master's degree in anthropology, Portland State University. Got that 10 years ago. His debt has grown from 88000 to 177000 because he keeps deferring payments. He says it affects everything. It affects even the things I do with my children and the fact that I may never be able to own a house. You know, when people talk about this, they're talking about the way all debt affects you. You could have a mortgage and feel this way. You could take out a HELOC to do some home repairs and you could feel this way. You could, you could have a car note or two car notes. And you could, I mean... This is how it feels, dude, to take out a loan. Why should you be let off the hook? Everyone who's in debt feels the way you feel. Yes, it affects everything. Yes, it's on your mind all the time. He says these loans are like a kind of big weight that we carry around our necks that prevent us from actually doing well. What do you think about that? Uh, the JR poll, do you hope that the Supreme Court kills student loan debt forgiveness? Where are you on that? We're awaiting their decision. And we're talking about that, and we're talking about the implosion question from yesterday, 210-599-5555. And Jason is on the Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Jason. Hey, Jack. I'm always nervous when I call into your show, so I, I, I try to do my best to do my homework. I wanted to talk about society and the state of affairs that we're in today. Yeah. And for me, there's a documentary on George Soros. And in the mm -hmm. documentary, it starts off about talking about how he's a great man. And it finishes with he's not so great. He's pretty evil. So in the documentary, it states that when he was eight years old, his mom told him, I can't recall whether it was Russian soldiers or German soldiers, but she, she told him at eight years old that she was raped by two soldiers. And he took that for the rest of his life as sort of like a, I don't know if you want to call it a vendetta or a mission, 
but that's what led him to be so evil. And he founded an organization called the Open Society Foundation. Right. Okay. Right. Now, it, it stretches over 120 countries, and it includes the United States. Um, they give grants uh, from a thousand, a few thousand dollars to hundreds of thousands of dollars, and it's awarded to organizations and activist groups. So you wonder during during all the rioting, how these pallets of bricks just Mm-hmm. amazingly ended up in the alleys and, and were launched at police officers mm-hmm. and on and on. Every riot was funded. Okay. Mm-hmm. So far he's, he's funded over $30 billion to this organization. And not only that, but their, their focus is their approach is a decentralized bottom up approach that allows them to focus on long-term strategies while remaining nimble and flexible enough to respond to sudden crises, mm-hmm. it's the right. So if you hear Biden talk, what is the one thing he always says? Build back better from the bottom up, middle out. And mm-hmm. that is the exact mm-hmm. word used from the Open Society Foundation. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I think you're I think you're certainly and we've had we had some people uh, in the email yesterday mention uh you know, mentioned the amount of money and the amount of coordination uh, that's come from that organization, um, but and, and from George Soros. Uh, what is the point of it, though, Jason? Like, what's the what's the end game of it? It's money. You, there, he's he's greasing the DAs, right, to do to do harm to our country, mm-hmm. because the end goal for what him, I'm asking though is what is the so. What is his, uh, how, how does he know he's finished his job? Like, what does it look like when he's done? To me, I think he believes that if there's an open society, then what happened to his mom will, will never happen to somebody else again. That's, to me, that's his end game. Hmm. But it's, all he does is ruin countries and he's ruining our country. Hmm. But, but. The culpability lies within our politicians because they're mm-hmm. allowing it. And it's greed, it's money, it's, oh, let me get my hands on this money. That's, to me, that's the bottom line. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but to me, it's... Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not rejecting it or resisting it, um, but when people portray a very, very wealthy person as being on some kind of... Uh, you know, crusade or whatever, I, I always need to hear, for me to believe it, I, I need to hear that they've got a specific outcome uh, because otherwise, I don't know about you, Jason, but I think if I had that kind of money, I wouldn't give a flip about what was going on. You know, you're, 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 you're immune from it. You're inoculated from whatever the society is doing, whatever the system of government is. I mean, you're above all that. You're way above it. So I, 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 the part that I'm not sure of, and I'm not saying you're wrong, but no one has ever completely squared the circle for me on, well, what is this supposed to look like when he's done? Saying things like, we just want to ruin the country is pretty vague. I don't know what that means. Like, one person's ruin would be another person's improvement, right? Right. So, I mean, he's, he's in there. He's in the mix, no doubt about it. I, I just don't know if I, 
if, if we can say this is it, this is the answer to the question, you know what I mean? But he's definitely in there, and, and I give you a lot of credit. You've done your homework, and you've done your research on the guy. And um, Yeah, a lot of people mentioned him. I appreciate your call. Please don't be nervous when you call. It's, it's great to have you. Um, I love hearing these theories, and we've had some good ones yesterday, and I think we'll get some good ones today. I, I don't think there's a single answer to this. You know, the three years, roughly, I'm kind of going from roughly like the beginning of COVID to now. And saying, what's the what's the implosion about? 210-599-5555. And then, as I mentioned, we're, we're awaiting a Supreme Court decision on uh, the uh, student loan debt forgiveness. What do you what do you hope will happen there? Uh, what do you want to have happen there? I mean, I, I don't think, obviously, the Supreme Court is just supposed to decide whether he has the power. I don't think he does. I can't imagine that they're going to say he does. But then he'll be told by his base, well, go ahead and do it anyway. You know, just find another way to do it. And um, we, we gotta we got to start facing the fact that when you, um, when you look at the high cost of higher education, you need to start asking questions about uh, what are we getting for our money, right? And then when you look at what's happened with the, the, the burden of loans, the, the, the totality of loans, uh, at one time, about 30 years ago, the, the majority of student loan debt was undergraduate debt. It was getting a four-year degree or a two-year degree. Now, half of student loan debt, according to the Urban Institute, is graduate loans. And I just wonder if we haven't all been kind of, you know, played here where the higher education industry keeps telling us, keep moving the, the goalposts, right? Like getting any college degree was good, and then you had to get a master's, and then you had to get a doctorate. And, we, and, and while we keep letting them move the goalposts, same study from Urban Institute says uh, in the last 20 years, uh, net tuition and fees rose 79% in real terms, meaning adjusting for inflation. So that's crazy. There's no keeping up with that. And, and anything the government does to forgive is just feeding that insanity. So if you care about this thing and you're under the yoke of it, you want somebody to bring it under control, not just keep throwing more money into the furnace. No, basically taking money from people that didn't eat the meal to pay for somebody else's meal. 210-599-5555. Tim is calling in on the implosion question. Tim, thanks for hanging on. Good afternoon. Hey, Jack. Thank you so much for everything you do. I'm telling you, I, I was just listening to the George Soros uh, analysis from, uh, it was a Jason, I think. Totally agree. I've actually done that research myself, and it's pretty self-evident as to what's going on. The only problem that I have, or the question that I have is, who and what can we do? Because apparently our vote doesn't count because our politicians don't, they just don't do what we ask them to do or what they promise they'll do. How do we make accountability part of, you know, part of what we're voting for? And, and that said, where do we draw the line and how do we get, how do we get term limits and things like that that mm. really need to be part of this? Because the problem is these guys are career politicians and they're just not doing the job. They say the baloney, and then they do what they want. 
I don't know how to organize that. Well, I want to maybe take a little bit of issue when you say politicians don't do what voters want them to do. I think the liberals do. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. I mean, right? right? Like they, they you know, we want Pride right. Month, you get Pride Month. We want student loan yeah, debt forgiveness, yeah. you get student loan debt forgiveness. I mean, I, it seems to me that what the what conservatives need to do is get the same accountability from the people they vote for that the left gets from the people they vote for. I, I, it seems to me that the left is getting, you know, promises made or promises kept. But on the right, we keep hearing, oh, next election, or give us more of a majority, right. or, well, right. we need the White House and the Senate, and I'm tired of that. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Right. I get it. That's what I'm trying to get at. How do we organize as conservatives or people that just care? I don't care which kind of – I don't know where they came up with left and right and all this other hard mm-hmm. shit. But don't you think it's because you just use the word organize, and, and if you think about it, I, I mean, think about people you know that are conservative, that you would regard as, as who think like right. you do. They don't go to meetings. They don't want to belong to groups. They don't. We so, Right. And yeah. when you're done working, the last thing you want to do is go to a rally or a pro, protest. You're not going to do it. Right. But see, that's, exactly. their, that, that's their whole they do that morning, noon, and night on the left. They organize, they join, they show up. They and and their politicians are afraid of them. Like our politicians are not afraid of us. They know that we'll exactly. we have no place else to go if we believe in the Second Amendment. We got to stick with the Republicans because we got no place else to go. That, that that's the that's the thing that would have to change. Conservative candidates would have to start to fear us the way leftist candidates fear the left. So, agreed, agreed. And I don't. I don't know how that will happen, but until that does, that yeah, you use the word accountability, which is a great word. Accountability comes when you feel like, "Hey, I don't want to face these people unless I've done what I said I would do," well, and they're not afraid I of us. In my opinion, it's term limits. It's you don't get retirement; you get the same medical we get, and you know what? You're a volunteer, just like a firefighter, or, yeah. or yeah. You're, you're actually a volunteer to serve your country. You know, you look at these guys coming back from the military, they are jacked up from one side to the other. And it just, if these guys want to do the service for four years and go out there and lose a leg or an arm and do their right. thing and then come back and be a politician, right. great, come on back and do it. Right. You don't get the perspective of the real people, and I think it's greed and power. And back to the George Soros thing and all that, it's all greed and power that's yeah. driving this whole thing. How do, as American, a normal American citizen that works 50, 60 hours a week, go out and go, I need my voice heard. The mm-hmm. vote doesn't seem to work because all, it's all baloney when you get yeah. down to the end of the game. Yeah. And that's just yeah. my opinion. But no, it's a, I, I'm, I'm totally, totally agree. I totally agree. Tim, thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. It's good to have you. When people talk about George Soros, my mind goes to, and I'm going to date myself here, but actually... I guess I'm not really dating myself because this is so old. It's even it's it's actually even way before my time. Have you ever heard of a fictional character named Fu Manchu? Anybody know what I'm talking about? This is this this goes way back. I mean, you got to be like a Turner Classic Movies uh, person for Fu Manchu. Fu Manchu was a fictional character invented by an author named Sax Romer. That was his pen name, not his real name. And he was kind of like, Sax Romer was like the, the guy that created Sherlock Holmes. He created 
both a uh, an ongoing villain and an ongoing good guy. Uh, he had this British uh, soldier that was the nemesis of Fu Manchu. And Fu Manchu was a, a doctor and a scientist and a criminal uh, genius. And Sax Romer made a lot of money and wrote a lot of books over like 40 years, 40 or 50 years, I think, with this guy. And the books are kind of out of favor now because it's considered racist and anti-Asian. He uses a lot of stereotypes. He uses a lot of terminology that isn't considered acceptable anymore. When you read them and you, you, you read past the fact that, okay, we don't say it that way or we don't call people that, they're very well written. They're very interesting, uh, gripping. I mean, if you like Sherlock Holmes, you'd love the Fu Manchu series. And they made some movies. The thing about this character is he's a global bad guy. He is in everywhere. He's, he's got stuff going on everywhere. And he's got his, his operatives are everywhere. And he seems to have unlimited amounts of money. Part of the way he has unlimited amounts of money, the author explains, is he's invented a way of making gold. He makes it. And, I mean, if you make gold, you're the richest man in the world, right? So Fu Manchu is doing his thing. He's creating havoc. Uh, in in one of the books, he takes over the United States and and has a dictator in the White House. I mean, it's 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 all great sort of you know criminal genius villain stuff. But there's really no there's like no there there. Like you don't really ever hear well why like what was what what it's what, what's he gonna what's he gonna do when he gets total control of the world or What's the world going to look like? I mean, obviously he'll be in charge, but then what? And I think that's the thing about George Soros. I, I believe that he is a, a, a big-time bad guy, and I believe that he is funding the disruption of Western civilization. I, I believe he is an enemy of many of the things that, that our country is based on and about. Um, but you're not going to get people to care about that, really, if you can't explain to them, well, this is how it'll look if he ever gets his way, or this is what this is the end game of it. I'm not saying, by the way, that there isn't one, but I think that has to be explained and laid out, or else George Soros kind of sounds like Fu Manchu. It's very, it's it, you know, and in the books, people are terrified of him. I mean, people will drop dead of a heart attack just at the mention of his name. And he commands a lot of power just from intimidation, like even when he hasn't actually done something. If people think he made that building catch fire, that's enough, right? And so um, I, I, I want to make sure we're keeping George Soros in the real world and not just he's like the catch basket for everything we don't like and everything that you know is disruptive or chaotic. Again, I'm not saying I don't believe, but I need to hear, I think we need to hear, well, what is... What's it supposed to look like when he gets his way? If we don't know that, it seems like a big missing piece. Uh, do you hope that the Supreme Court ends student loan debt forgiveness when they announce a decision which could be this week? Um, doesn't look like it's going to be today, but it could be this week. Uh, wh what do you want them to do? 210-599-5555. And um, a lot of the angst with people that are in student loan debt isn't even about this decision because the decision is only for a small part of what they owe, 
What they're worried about, what the articles I'm reading say, is they're worried about the the fall when the COVID uh, suspension of payments that started under Trump, continued under Biden, that's going to end, and they're going to have to start uh, making payments. Payments have been deferred due to the COVID emergency, and now they're going to have to start making them again. And there's people saying, look, uh, you're going to, you don't realize what this is going to do to the country. You don't realize what this is going to do to the economy. Um, and I hear all this, and I, I'm not unsympathetic because, again, I've got a, a daughter going to college in the fall. But this is how all, uh, all of us who have any kind of debt feel about debt. It, it's, it is a burden. It does uh, loom over your other life decisions. It may cause you to defer things. I mean, if a young couple defers getting married because they're in debt, if, if they defer uh, buying a house, not everybody lives in a house. Not, not everyone is meant to live in a house. Um, that, that's what debt does. Why are we talking about student loan debt like it's its own thing? Like, no one's ever felt this way before. No, no one's ever been affected uh, this way before. That, to me, is very, very weird. Uh, and, and I realize the numbers are staggering, and I understand, yeah. I mean, this guy in the Forbes article went from taking out 88000 in student loan debts, which, by the way, you know, depending upon where, where he went to school, probably isn't even that much. There's probably people that take out a lot more. But anyway, he, he took out this guy, Craig Kilman, Michael Kilman, excuse me, uh, took out 88000 in student loan debts ten, you know, several years ago. He graduated 10 years ago. And now he owes 177000 And then he didn't make any payments starting in the spring of 2020 because the, the president uh, put an emergency COVID-19 moratorium on the federal student loan debts. And Kilman says, if you resume these payments, you're going to cause major crisis for millions of American families. Well, welcome to the world I live in, where none of my debts were canceled or suspended or forgiven. I mean, you just got to pay them, you know? Um, I, I, I think if we want to say, if, if, if we care about people in this situation, or you're in this situation, doesn't it make more sense to say, how is it that these higher education costs have exploded out of proportion to everything and anything else? And why are colleges and universities building like crazy, adding administrators like crazy, paying inflated salaries to administrators like crazy, hiring not people to teach courses in the classroom? but throwing money at people just to get them on the masthead or to brag about them being in the faculty. And, and when we start to get our arms around that, you won't have to take out a couple hundred thousand dollars to go to college. You shouldn't have to. And probably no one should, right? So I get it. I, I you know, I've, I've I get the whole, hey, boomer, you know, you don't understand. It's not like when you went to school and college was $5 a semester or $12 a semester or whatever. I, I, I know, I know. And it wasn't that, by the way. But I, what I hear, and tell me if you agree or disagree, what I hear people saying 
about their student loan payments sounds like what you're in when you have any kind of debt. You know, I mean, I'm sure there are people listening to this going, well, they don't like their student loan payment. Wait till they get a mortgage. 210-599-5555. And this is a good example of what I was talking about with the caller last hour. This Biden deal on student loans is an example of accountability to his base. He is rewarding people who voted for him. This What he did is what they expected him to do. And conservatives need to figure out how to be accountable to their voters the way lefties are accountable to theirs. It's not that we don't have any accountability in politics these days. It's that we have a lot more accountability on one side of the spectrum than we do on the other. 210 599-5555. And speaking of <clears throat> speaking of Biden, we're going to be talking about uh, uh, the all this coverage that uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is getting and not getting. There's a survey out that says uh, 80% of Democrats, um, including 72% of Biden supporters, uh, want Joe Biden to debate Robert Kennedy. And the answer to that from the Biden camp is, well, incumbent presidents don't debate challengers. It, it hasn't happened in modern times. Um, you know, that when, when an incumbent president has a challenger in his party, like when Buchanan ran against Bush, um, or uh, what would be another example, Kennedy running against Carter, Ted Kennedy running against Jimmy Carter, they don't. Uh, they don't do it. They don't debate. But boy, eighty percent of people in your party and seventy-two percent of your own supporters seems like that would be an exception to the rule. Uh, so we're going to talk about the Bobby Kennedy coverage uh, as well, or Robert Kennedy coverage as well. We're going to talk about Ron DeSantis and what's going on with the Republicans. Get to your phone calls about all of that. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. Nancy is calling in on the uh, poll question about student loan debt. We're awaiting that Supreme Court decision. Hi, Nancy. I uh, I don't have a student loan. I'm one of the boomers. But anyway, um, <laughs> the problem is that, or one of the big problems is that you have to you you have to pay the full interest. You can pay that loan off tomorrow, but you're going to pay the entire amount of interest with it. You do not. It's not like buying a car or a house or something where you mm-hmm. can pay more and then your principal goes. Uh, mm-hmm. Down as principal goes down, you know. Anyway, your interest goes. It doesn't work. So, whatever the interest, so it doesn't pay anybody to pay it off early. Like throw in one hundred eighty thousand dollars or whatever uh, early, because you're still going to have to pay the full amount of interest. And that, I think, they could do something about. Because mm-hmm. that's just that, in my opinion. Well, okay. I mean, you could do something about that. You could also do something about. Uh, the fact that the more we loan money to people to go to college, the more colleges jack up what they charge. And you can see why they would do that, right? Any business that realized there was more money in the pool would find a way to get it. So if we keep finding ways to go easier on people with these loans, 
all that will happen is higher education will be higher and higher priced. That madness has to stop. Nothing else will work unless we stop that. Yeah, well, I still think if they cut down on this, because they're making buku tons of money just on interest. Well, let me give you an example of what I'm saying, Nancy. Right. If if you think people who have student loans are un, in an unfair circumstance because of the interest, like you're saying, why doesn't, instead of clawing money from people that didn't even go to college to pay for the people who did, why, don't the, why doesn't the government claw that money back from the colleges and universities that are hiring administrators and building fancy new student centers and research centers and, and palatial dormitories? Get the money back. If, if you think it's an unfair deal, these people sign on for something that isn't fair and isn't, isn't workable, get the money back from the people that took it. Well, what people ought to do is get loans, but not through the government. If you want a loan, you're going to discover it's going to cost you okay. a lot. You're not going to yeah. be able to go to those yeah. schools. Yeah. No, that's a good, that's a good point. Nan, I understand, I Nancy. We'll agree to disagree. I, I hear what you're saying, but I, I'm sorry. I think we need to do more than just tinker with the, with the interest. But I appreciate your call nonetheless. The media would ordinarily love a Kennedy story. I mean, you know that, right? We don't have to go into why. And um, and they they used to love Robert Kennedy because he's a big-time lefty on the environment. But then he committed the cardinal sin of coming out against uh, or expressing skepticism of the uh, COVID vaccine, which is, the, like, that's the modern anti-Semitism. When you do that, you're just, we can't even... Your, your name can't even be my mouth. You're so vile. On top of that, he's spoiling the coronation for Biden's second term by running, you know, a double digit, way behind, but still a double digit in the polls. And so there is this kind of arrogance about him in covering him that he's sort of this nonsense person. And, I, you know... When you add his number, his poll numbers to Marion Williamson's poll numbers, that's a story that an incumbent president has basically like twenty-eight or thirty percent of the party support going to somebody else. That, that's a story that that they deserve to be covered. Uh, both of them are serious. I know Marion Williamson is kind of goofy on some things, but when she talks about kitchen table issues, she sounds very sensible. When Kennedy talks about this stuff. He sounds very sensible. I don't agree with him on everything. But the arrogance of ignoring them is, is very telling. I mean, we used to think media bias was kind of broad, like they favor Democrats over Republicans, they favor the left over the right. But, you know, w when you look at the, the way they're shielding Biden, not covering him, but shielding him, it really reveals this. this is an entirely different situation than, like, when the media covered Reagan or Bush or something, and people would complain about media bias. 210-599-5555. Um, and when the, the vast majority of people in the Democratic Party say Biden needs to debate, uh, it's ludicrous to say, well, the history says that uh, incumbent presidents uh, you know, don't, uh, don't, don't do that. Uh, incumbent presidents never do debates. Uh, well... Maybe this is uh, time to, uh, you know, make an exception. Or at least explain why you wouldn't. 210-599-5555. Well, you wouldn't because you're 40 points ahead, I guess. Uh, all right, so we're talking about student loan debt. When the Supreme Court rules, which could be this week, 
Uh, it has to be this week. Uh, we thought it might be today, um, but I think they have to. I think they. I think they go home for the summer at the end of this week. So it's, it's pretty much has to be tomorrow or Friday. Um, when they rule, they're going to be ruling on the uh, twenty thousand piece that Biden ordered, not all student loans and not the COVID suspension because that's coming to an end in September anyway. What do you what do you want them to do? What do you think they should do? Charles is on the radio on KTSA. Charles, good afternoon. Hey Jack, how are you? Good, thank you. Good, good. Um these people knew they owed the money. Yeah. Why yeah. are they putting money away for to go on a vacation? Why are they putting money away to do whatever for their kids? Why are they putting you know you owe it. What's the deal? I mean like Bonnie said you know, just do the interest only. It doesn't really matter. Our government is not going to allow you to get away with anything. They're not going to get rid of the student loan debt. You, they do nothing. They wait for us to send us money. That's what they do. I, I, I don't, I don't know, know if I believe that the government wouldn't forgive all this if they, if they, uh, if the politician figured out a way to do that. He would think, or she would think, that they were basically buying an entire demographic of the vote. I, I'm, I'm not well, sure I would rule that out. Well, that's the only that's the only reason Joe Biden's doing it is to try to right. get the vote. And 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 they, there's enough people that don't understand that our government doesn't do anything. We send them money. Right. That's right. all we do. So they, when you forgive student loans, you're money. actually making you're making people that didn't take them out pay for them well yeah and, it, and to your point when you took it out why did you not understand that it was like a mortgage or a car loan and you would have to pay it back where did this idea come that if it got too big or you fell behind you sh- then you shouldn't have to do it people with mortgages aren't saying that people with car you loans said, aren't saying that you said that earlier in the store when you went you when you went through k-12 they indoctrinated yeah. those kids in yeah. school by, we're yeah. going to give you a free breakfast. Yeah. And that's where it started. Everything's free. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Charlie, thank you. Uh, Michael is on KTSA, Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Michael. Hey, Jack. How are you this afternoon? Good, thanks. How are you? I, I'm doing well. I uh, have student loans, took the loans out, had to repay them, struggled to repay them, and uh, actually wanted to pursue an advanced degree. And did not because I couldn't afford the exorbitant price of tuition. And uh, I think part of that is the Department of Education guarantees these loans, and it just gives the uh, schools free reign to charge whatever they want. They don't have to compete Mm -hmm. against the market Mm -hmm. because they just can go and, you know, if you go and say, well, I can't afford that, and say, oh, you can borrow the money. And, uh, you know, UTSA, uh, semester at UTSA here in town is over $8,000 a semester, and 60% mm. of that is fees. Yeah. It's, uh, wow. But well, let me ask you this, Michael. If, it's not, if this is not too personal a question, you, you said that you did take out loans and you struggled to pay them back. Did you feel, if, if you don't mind me asking, did you feel like the degree you got was worth what it took to get it? If I had to do over, Jack, I would have gone and gotten into the trades rather than go to St. Mary's and get a four-year degree. I would have gone mm-hmm. to HVAC construction because okay. right now the money's in the trades. Yeah. 
I mean, uh, I, re- I, I, I do sympathize with people in the sense that I think they're seduced into pursuing higher education like it's a golden ticket. And when you start telling people that, then you can get them to agree to loans and other things that normally their own common sense would prevent them you know, from doing, right? And, and I, so th- I want- that's why I say if we if we need a villain in this piece, the villain is, is higher education. The villain is the colleges. And they, they make promises they can't deliver on. Their degree programs are not guaranteed employment programs. You, 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 you give degrees to people who, who go into debt to get them and then can't get the job in the field. How many people do we all know that have a degree in one thing but do something else because they have to? And there's no shame in that, but they were obviously at some point misled. I, I just think that if, if we're going to get the money back, get it back not from the taxpayers, get it back from the colleges that have fattened up on all this. Exactly. Mac Brown making, you know, uh, college football coaches making millions of dollars a year. That's ridiculous. Right, right, right. That and, and you look at the building, every major university and college has a construction boom going on. They all have tons of administration uh, the layers of admin are incredible. Uh, I know because I have friends in college admissions, and they they almost have to pinch themselves. They can't believe how much money they're making, uh, and how uh, you know cushy these jobs are. And they're totally secure. Nothing's ever going to happen to them. Get the, get that money back, and then we'll talk about student loans and what we can do about it. But Michael, I appreciate your call, sir. Thank you. The Forbes uh, talked to a 39 uh, year old man in Denver named Michael Kl- Kilman. And you know, he's married, has four kids, um, he's got a lot of student loan debt, and he's worried uh, more about the resumption of the payments in the fall than what the Supreme Court's going to do. Quote, it affects everything. It affects even the things I do with my children and the fact that I may never be able to own a house. He says, everybody you talk to who has significant student loans says the same thing, that these loans are kind of like this big weight that we carry around our necks that prevent us from actually doing well. And he got a uh, master's degree in anthropology, which is where he racked up most of his debt. Uh, he was in a little debt after the four years. He was in a lot of debt with the master's degree. Uh, the article says, since then, he's earned a modest income as an adjunct professor and freelance digital media creator. Oh, well, hell. <laughs> you can starve to death doing digital media. I know I'm doing it. Um and he says he sometimes drives for DoorDash. Uh, his concern is when the payments re- re- resume in the fall, quote, you're going to cause major crisis for millions of American families. Well, um, they've not been making the payments since the spring of 2020. So isn't the problem the whole scheme, not the resumption of payments? What you've been dealing with since 2020 has been sort of a, a suspension of reality, right? Like a, like a, like a, an interruption in the time-space continuum. But if you're telling me these debts are insupportable and you can't get out from under, then we got to look at what we're doing here. Th- this is nonsense, and I, I, I think, I think politicians will always look to sort of the the quick you know, sugar high uh, solution, because they're always just thinking about the next election. You know, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, all they're thinking about is next year. I'm thinking like 20 years. 
We can't keep doing this. So what's the answer to that? And I don't think it's forgiveness. 210-599-5555, and Justin is on the Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Justin. Hey, Jack. Um, I had two points to this. I, I really don't uh, agree with the forgiveness um, in part because I, went, I did two years of community college out there in San Antonio in Northeast Lakeview, and mm-hmm. I did my part as far as when I decided that this wasn't for me and got certifications in something else, which mm-hmm. I'm still in that career field, um, where is going to be my back pay for the money that I've already paid for that? And my second part to it is I'm not quite sure as far as a solution. I heard uh, the lady earlier talk about the interest rate. Um, my thing, I think, to get before that is educating a lot of these high school students who are coming out of college. A lot of them are first time um, going to college out of their family, so they might not mm-hmm. have that mentorship of an aunt or a family member to kind of mm-hmm. guide them. And I can remember when I went to high school that I can't really recall a, a time that I, we all had a class or had someone who reached out and said, hey, this is what you're going to be doing. You know, we're 17, 18 years old, barely able to buy a, a, a pack of cigarettes, and yet we're getting eighty, dollars $100,000 in the loan and really kind of thinking it's the norm. So I think mm-hmm. really just kind of educating um, a lot of these high yeah. school students and, and kind of just maybe, maybe, maybe it might kind of help from there. Well, they don't do it alone, though, because remember, the, their parents are in it with them. So oh, yeah. it's, not like, it's not like you have to know everything at 17. Um, I, I don't know if I believe that the schools can be trusted to do what you're saying, Justin, because my understanding of it is that um, when you talk about, like, school administrators and guidance counselors, they're rah-rah they're for go to college, and schools brag about the percentage of their graduating high school class that is, you know, college accepted or college bound. In other words, that's that's their scoreboard. They're not going to be the ones to sit a young Justin down and go, "Hey, you might want to consider the trades," or you know what I mean. They're that's this is oh, they're not oh, the ones I that are going to do that. I totally agree, and a lot of it. Um for these students is that's kind of the only place where they are going to get it. They're not going to get it back home. And, um, and I can kind of see both sides of that, but, um, mm-hmm. I, I definitely think, um, to a lot of it with these parents is, um, they kind of want to stay in the circle and I had no, um, uh, problem at all going to a community college one. Cause knowing that's yeah. what I could afford, but two, I really didn't want to go to college at first, but I figured, hey, if mm. I'm going to go and try it, this is probably the best path to do it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I, you know, um, I agree with everything you're saying about uh, the path and it's not for everyone. But then on the other side of it, we've got all these people that are getting advanced degrees. And so obviously college does work for them and they are good at studying and hitting the books and all that. But should we really be, should everybody be getting a master's degree when just X number of years ago, a bachelor's degree was considered prestigious and, and, and enough. And, and oh, it just yeah. looks well, to me like the colleges like the keep Ram- moving the goalpost. Yeah, it's just that, like James Ramsey says, you know, don't get a master's in puppetry or something. You know, it's, 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 you know if you're going to get a master's, get something that, one, you're going to be able to find a job in it, but then, two, also be able to right. uh, pay back any loans you want or support your right. family like that guy had, had mentioned in that article. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. Maybe with uh, drag 
Queen Story Hour. Maybe puppetry is going to be a. It might be a growth industry, Justin. We don't know. All right, good to talk to you, sir. Thank you. Thanks for being on our show. I I don't. Um, I'm not trying to be mean here. I mean, like I understand if you're on a path and you want to work in a particular kind of job. I, I can't even think of a hypothetical. So whatever. And everyone who works at that level or gets that, you know, gets into that thing has a master's degree. I, I understand why you would want to get one, too. I, I, I guess I just, I'm looking at this in a very econ 101, you know, kind of way. Everything the politicians want to do involves, quote, unquote, free money. Let's have free community college. Let's have free uh, four-year degrees. Let's have universal basic income. Let's have loan forgiveness. Let's have loan suspension. Let's have interest forgiveness. All of that is moving money around it's not they're not they're not giving out of their pocket they're giving out of other people's pockets plus so i'm and i'm against that that to me is evil it, you know wealth redistribution is evil it's marxist and it's just a hole thinking it's, it's terrible economics but also but also again econ 101 the colleges are businesses, and they will absorb whatever additional money the politicians make available. Just like the when we used to hear back in the 80s and 90s about the $600 toilet seat, people would get mad at the defense contractor, but the defense contractor is just raising his prices to what he knows the government will pay. And it's not right, but it's understandable it's logical so the way you get rid of the $600 hammer or the $6000 toilet seat or whatever it was is you 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 cut the the spending you reduce the pot of money from which that can be drawn there there, there has to be uh a return to the you know earth orbit for higher education costs these prices are insane everybody agrees Nobody thinks $75,000 a year is justifiable, sensible. My most liberal friends are just as appalled by that as you are. So if we don't have a solution like that, we will be right back here again in a year or two. And believe me, the politicians will keep inventing emergencies. They will keep appealing and pulling people's heartstrings. And they'll use words like forgiveness, which is precious because... You know, I can forgive you person to person. There's no such thing as a government forgiving something, okay? That's not a thing. So we were talking about uh, Biden not debating Robert Kennedy. Um, I think that would be fascinating. Robert Kennedy says a lot of interesting things, and um, Joe Biden says a lot of nonsensical um, kind of random things. Let me let me play you a couple of examples. Um he was on the White House lawn this morning working the rope line with the reporters. Listen to this analysis of what's going on with Vladimir Putin, cut number two. It's hard to tell, but he's clearly losing the war in Iraq. He's losing the war at home. And he has uh, become a bit of a pariah around the world. Uh, 
and it's not just NATO, it's not just the European Union, it's Japan, it's, it's uh, you know, it's 40 nations. He's losing the war in Iraq. Putin is losing the war in Iraq. You know, it's like, um, I want to say the needle skipped, but I don't know what I don't know what album we have on the turntable. You know, like losing the war in Iraq would have been the rhetoric you'd have been employing against, I guess, George W. Bush, like 15, 16 years ago, right? Like, how is that on his mind right now? And then there was the thing, everybody's played this by now, but he was at the uh, event with the Indian Prime Minister. They were around the cabinet table in the White House, and he was telling a joke, cut number three. I was just thinking, uh, uh, anyway, I started off without you. And I sold a lot of state secrets and a lot of very important things that we shared. I think he's joking, right? Like, I sold a lot of state secrets. Like, look at me, I'm as bad as Trump. But you don't know. I mean, there's no way he can debate Robert Kennedy. I mean, I'd have a hard time debating Robert Kennedy, and I've got most of my marbles still. This guy can't do it. Um, And yet... 80% 80% of Democrats want a debate. Why, did, why do 80% of Democrats want a debate if they're going to vote for Joe Biden? That's interesting, right? I mean, if I've got my candidate, I'm set. I'm, I'm decided. You know what I think it is with, with Biden? You know, what, you know what Biden voters right now remind me of? Like When I was a kid growing up in, in New England, in Massachusetts, we had the New England Patriots, but this was way, way, way before Tom Brady. We'd never heard of him. And the Patriots were a, were a pretty bad team when I was a kid. They were, you know, like a 500 team or under 500. They didn't make the playoffs. Uh, they went to the Super Bowl once in 1986, lost to the Chicago Bears and uh, the refrigerator, all that stuff. But anyway, um, they were a terrible team. We had a mediocre quarterback named Steve Grogan. Nice guy, just not very exciting. But you were a Patriots fan because that was the thing to be. And you justified and explained it to yourself, even though everyone else around the country knew they were a terrible team. They were a doormat. You know, for most teams, they were an automatic W when you got to play them. And, and that's what I think Biden voters are right now. They know he's terrible. They can't explain. They can't translate him. They, can't, they, don't, they don't think he's there. But they're trying to stay loyal to the team. You know, he's their Steve Grogan. He's what they have. And um, it's, I'm, not, I'm not defending it. This is our country. We, we should want and, and demand much, much better. But that's what I think is going on. It, it, it's probably what, and this is probably not a fair comparison, like if you're a Green Bay Packers fan, you have to pretend that everything's going to be fine this year. You know it's not. You know it's not. You're about to have a major come down. You're, you're, you're entering the post Aaron Rodgers era, and no matter how good Jordan Love turns out to be, he's not going to be Aaron Rodgers this year. But Packer fans are going to be wearing the cheese heads and roaring and wearing the towels and rocking Lambeau Field because that's, that's what you do. That's your team. Biden and the Democrats, this is my team. That's all. They're just performing it. They don't feel it. And this gives the Republicans an opportunity, and I don't know if they're going to take it or not, 
If anybody could screw it up, it would be it would be them. If I was going to name the most dangerous stretch of roadway, I think around here uh, for a long time, I think I would have said either sixteen oh four west, where you uh, merge onto I ten east. That's that crazy uh, kind of you got to play chicken and dart into it. Uh, so you're going you're going west on sixteen oh four. And you're gonna you're gonna take the uh, the, the uh, cloverleaf ramp to get on I-10 inbound or I-10 eastbound. Um, I would have said either that, like I took a friend of mine through that a few weeks ago from Houston, and I could tell just the way I did it, he was scared out of his mind. If he could have put his legs up on the dashboard, he would have. Or equally bad, some of the um, on ramps on 410, like between. I don't know, maybe between like I-10 and airport. Some of those are so short. And Don, you drive that stretch, I know. Some of those merges are so short that you just have to barrel into the 410 traffic and hope for the best, yeah, right? I just, I pass on by and just, you know, get off the next exit. It's just not worth your life. They're, they're just, it's like yeah. the on and off ramps are too close together on mm-hmm, 410, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I got a new one, though. And I'm not going to say try. I don't want you to go try this or go look at it because I'm going to tell you about it. This is the worst exit I've seen in San Antonio. The worst. And it's a construction exit. So it's 1604 westbound exiting to Blanco Road because they've, they're doing all that uh, work on 1604. Everybody who travels it knows painfully well. But now they're also, they've taken away lanes on the access roads. So this is where you're like in front of um, like Torchies and Trader Joe's. That, um, when you get off 1604 there, there is no merge lane at all. You, you drive right in front of the cars that are on the access road. And they don't know you're coming. They're not expecting it because there used to be more lanes there. And it is crazy. I, I will go completely out of the way to not take that exit. Like if you're going on 1604, if you're going to go to Blanco Road to go to like the Target or the Vineyard or any of that area over there, just don't even do it. Don't even take that exit. Is that one of those, that exits, is, is that one of those exits that uh, when you're driving by it, do you often see a, a car accident there? I haven't seen an accident yet, but there must be accidents every day. There have to be. Because I've had close calls. And, you know, now that my daughter is getting to the age where she's going to be driving, I'm noticing this stuff in a whole different way. Like, I, I know I can handle it, but I think to myself, how could a new driver, you know, how could somebody that's only been driving a short time or less than a year, even if they're super responsible and they're paying attention, it's just, you have to, you have to go into those situations with, uh, like, all your neurons firing and, you know, <laughs> Your head's on a swivel, and it's like, it's almost like battlefield awareness, you know. Um, it's so bad that people are talking about how bad it is, like on next door. Like, there's a whole uh, in the neighborhood I'm in, and I, I've seen this el- elsewhere. People will share bad potholes or bad intersections or construction. And I, I looked this one up, and for the people that live around there, this is a major topic of uh, conversation 1604 westbound blanco exit with the construction right now so i even wrote to um john courage the district nine councilman which i i know this is not a city thing but i was just curious to know if he had been getting complaints or 
people had talked to him about it. I haven't heard back from him yet, but that was just today. So um, tell me if you've been through there, if you know what I'm talking about. They moved the ramp, um, and they're doing construction from, like, Cornerstone Church all the way up that access road to where it hits Blanco Road. And so it's a it's a bottleneck and it's a headache and it's a delay and it slows you down. And, but the worst part is if you're getting off 1604 there, th- you just you're it just spills the ramp traffic right in front of the cars that are on the access road. It's the craziest thing. It's the worst. I don't care how temporary it is. I cannot believe they left it like that for any length of time. It's, it's incredibly dangerous. I don't know the, like, I'm not a highway engineer. That's got to be against, like, the textbook way of doing it. That cannot be right. There's no way that's right. Tell me if you've seen that. 210-599-5555. So we're talking about Biden not wanting to debate Kennedy and Williamson, and even though Democrats want that debate. By the way, the media could make this happen. The media could put a lot of pressure uh, they could really turn up the heat and say, "Look, we're gonna we're gonna have Kennedy and Williamson, and we want by." But you know what the you know what the media are doing? Jake Tapper came out and said, "We don't want to talk to Kennedy anyway. We don't want to do a town hall. We don't want to do a debate with Kennedy because he lies about vaccines. Like every politician hasn't lied about something. And since when does Jake Tapper decide who is and is not morally worthy of the voters hearing from him? Like we don't we don't we don't need journalists." to act like some kind of star chamber. We're not children. So Jake Tapper needs to get off his throne and do a town hall or moderate a debate, no matter what he thinks of Kennedy. That's not the point. Or Trump or any of them. That's not the point. You're, 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 you know, you're sniffing your own armpits there, Jake. I mean, and I like Jake Tapper compared to some of the other libs on CNN, but, man, that's, come on, get, out, get over yourself. What do you think about DeSantis these days? How do you feel about DeSantis these days? He just went through a few days there where he did that uh, helicopter tour and went to the border. We talked about it with uh, uh, Chip Roy and because uh, he's a DeSantis guy. Um, and, and I guess, I don't know if you saw it or not, DeSantis went out with Bill Malusian from Fox News. They were in the helicopter and they were on the... Because Malusian is the border guy. He's the guy that's got that beat and... Uh, it was a photo op, and Fox gave it a lot of coverage. Fox seems to really like DeSantis these days. Um, it seems to me, and I'm curious to know what you think, like DeSantis has a problem where he's trying to be a better version of Trump than Trump is. Like when Trump came out in 2015 and was talking about we're going to build a wall, We'd never heard a major party candidate talk that way, and it had power, and it and it vaulted him into the you know lead. All the candidates in the Republican Party right now support walls and barriers and get tough on the border. So the problem they're going to have is if they're trying to get to the right of Trump on that, it's not going to work. And the 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 shock value or the oh wow this guy's serious value, that was over years ago. So now you have DeSantis saying, well, yes, I support a lot of the same things uh, Trump was for, but see, I'll, I'll, I'll get them done. And the problem with that argument is, how, how do I know that? 
So, yes, you're right, and I've said it many times, Trump often in office, once he became president, often didn't do or wasn't able to do or didn't seem to know how to do the things he had promised. And so it's a fair criticism of him that, hey, you didn't drain the swamp, uh, you let these people get the better of you. But you can't just say, well, I'll do better, and people will believe that. And so I was I was talking about this with my DeSantis-supporting friend, and he said, well, DeSantis needs to talk more about all the successes he's had in Florida. You know, in Florida, he gets things done, and he gets them done quickly, and everybody knows that. He's got a reputation for that, and even Democrats admire it. And I said, you know, I've never seen a guy run for president in this country, or woman, on the basis of being a successful governor. We've had governors become president. You know, Clinton was a governor. Reagan was a governor. But we didn't elect Ronald Reagan because he'd been the governor of California. We didn't elect Bill Clinton because we were impressed with his administration of Arkansas. I mean, he might have talked about it. And wonks might have been aware of it. But... Those guys had charisma and personality and policy. It wasn't about being governor. And DeSantis is going to rise or fall on DeSantis, not on Florida. I mean, we don't, I I don't think that's ever going to be the case that, that people will say, well, let me, let me delve into, uh, the, the governance of Florida and see if I'm, that's not going to, I mean, if you live there, you'll know, but if you don't, you're not going to care. And he can't make the electability argument which a lot of people thought he would be... A lot of people thought DeSantis' strength would be, well, you know, he, Trump's going to have all this baggage, and Ron DeSantis will show up and go, hey, I'm, I'm him only without the baggage. But you look at the polls, Trump's lead over him has grown, not shrunk, and uh, Trump's lead over Biden, or competitiveness with Biden, has maintained. In fact, I think, check me on this, DeSantis' poll numbers might have been better before he started running. Right? So now my question is, and this is where I'm going with all this, I like Ron DeSantis, um, and and I would definitely vote for him, but I'm not sure he is um, showing up. I wasn't too impressed with the border tour. It looked kind of hokey and... I don't know, photo oppy to me. Um, he is not going to out-Trump Trump. I don't think that's going to work. I, I do believe a lot of Trump supporters like Ron DeSantis, um, and I do believe a lot of Ron DeSantis voters also like and have in the past voted for Trump. But I, I think the problem I'm seeing with DeSantis, it's very early, of course, is how is he supposed to run when he's 40 points behind a guy that may be going to jail? And when his argument is, I'm for the same things, but I'll actually get them done. 210-599-5555. I'm looking here. This is an AP story on the uh, border trip when he was uh, down on the Texas border. Uh, Ron DeSantis promised to end birthright citizenship, finish building the southern border wall, and send U.S. forces into Mexico to combat drug cartels as part of an aggressive and familiar immigration policy he laid out uh, on Monday. Familiar because it was Trump's 
a lot of Trump stuff. He said, I've been listening to people in D.C. for years and years, going back decades, always chirping about this, yet never actually bringing the issue to conclusion. What we're saying is no excuses on this. He was using that as his slogan on the tour, no excuses. Uh, what do you think about sending the, the military into Mexico? I'm, that's a hard no uh, for me. That's, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you will disagree with me on that, and that's okay. Uh, but I'm, I'm, that's a hard no. Absolutely not. Uh, I, don't, I don't want another foreign war. Period. Full stop. Not interested. Um, do, do everything you can do with the border, to the border, uh, to the cartels. I don't think we're doing nearly enough. No, not, not invading Mexico. Uh, facing reporters, DeSantis said he would be more aggressive than Trump in implementing strong immigration policies. I think a lot of the things he's saying, you know, I agree with, he said of Trump. But I also think those are the same things that were said back in 2016. How do you feel about that? Charles is on the radio. Hi, Charles. Hey, Jack. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, say, I, you know, DeSantis sending troops into Mexico would be the biggest mistake since the Bay of Pigs. Uh, you know, the cartel captures one of our, our military personnel, and they torture him and on live TV. It's not going to be good. And you, you can't think that's not going to happen. Yeah. I actually don't. I agree with, I agree with you, but I actually don't think he means it. I, I, I feel like what he's doing right now is trying to out-tough talk Trump He's trying. They, yeah. they're, they're trying to brainstorm what can we propose that Trump hasn't said, which is not much. And uh, oh well, he didn't send troops across the border. Maybe we'll do that. Yeah, uh, yeah it's a, it's a bad idea, but I don't think he's going to be able to run against Trump by being to the right of Trump on the border. Like no one's going there. I I agree. And you know, and DeSantis is, you know, Trump is is a New York business person he's got that new york attitude mm-hmm. i like this i like what he did i don't agree with his tweets i don't agree with the sanctimonious you know that's that's high school stuff you mm-hmm. call kids bad days when you're in high school you don't do that when you're right. 70 however many years is can, can i say the real something real quick about the student loan sure uh i think you know the the it's all in the department of education Department of Education ought to mandate that when you uh, fill out an application for a student loan, you need to have statistics from the Department of Labor saying, if you're going to get a, a degree in this, here are the ranges of your salary. So you know up front that if you're going to make $40,000 a year and you're borrowing $200,000, you borrow $200,000, you're not ever going to be able to pay it back. Right. And, and, right. and I also think that any degree that ends in studies – there should be no student loans. <laughs> Amen to that. That's a good rule. I like that. I like that. If it ends in studies, you're not going to get rich. Very good, Charles. Thank you, sir. Uh, appreciate both on, bo- on both of those points. Appreciate your call. Um, yeah, Trump uh, is not performing the way people thought he would. The, 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 all the brilliant people said, oh, well, if he's ever indicted, that'll be it. Nope. More popular than ever. But what Charles just said is the is the path forward for DeSantis. It's not to out-Trump Trump. It's to say, yeah, those were the right policies. We just don't need the drama. I won't cost 
Republicans and conservatives Senate seats in Georgia or Pennsylvania. I won't wreck the paper-thin House majority uh, that we currently have. Because, by the way, that's probably going away next year anyway. But as, as president or as leader of the party, I won't make things worse. Need the, and this is what voters are saying. This is what callers to our show are saying. Whether they're Trump people or DeSantis people, most of them like both guys. They see value in both guys. And when they say, I voted for Trump, but you always know what's coming. It's now I'm getting tired of the tweets or now I'm getting tired of the drama. Uh, and I'll have people say to me all the time, I know it's a witch hunt, but could he just stop talking about it? Or could he stop making it sound like the reason he wants to get back to the presidency is for revenge? Because you and I would love to see him get that revenge, but that's not what our country needs. That's not, that's not the most important thing to us. We get it, but he's got to stop talking about it. That's, in my opinion, if there's any path forward, and it's a narrow one, that's the path forward for Ron DeSantis. Um, it, it is not out-toughing him, like, well, if he was going to build a border wall, I'll build a border wall with spikes on it. Or if he was going to put the military on the border, I'll send the military across the border. I mean, that's just crazy talk. You're not going to do that. You're not doing that. And if, and if you are serious about it, then maybe i got to rethink you because that's a terrible idea. You know, we do not need to go to war over Ukraine. We sure as hell do not need to go to war over Mexico. Meanwhile, we are taking our eye off a country that is gaming, planning, plotting, building for a war with us. I don't want that one either, but if I'm going to prepare for one, let me prepare for the one that appears unavoidable or the one that seemingly is is going to be thrust at us and not go looking, not go shopping for foreign wars. That's what that's what the so-called neocons or war hawks or whatever you want to call them, that's what they do. That's been a problem in our country for a long time. You know, I was thinking about this this morning. The two most um, peacemaking presidents of the modern era were Eisenhower and Kennedy. Even though both of them were veterans of World War II. And they were very different, right? Eisenhower was much older than Kennedy, like 30 years older, 20 years older, and he was a Republican. Kennedy much younger and a Democrat. They'd both seen the worst war in human history. And Eisenhower, uh, at the end of his presidency, gave the famous farewell address with the military-industrial complex line in it that's been used ever since. And Kennedy completely agreed with him, to the point where even though Kennedy had defeated Eisenhower's vice president and party, Kennedy consulted with Eisenhower as president. And Kennedy immediately became skeptical after Bay of Pigs. He began to realize the lies that the machine was telling him. The CIA was an organization basically corrupted by this war hawk mentality, this military-industrial mentality. And everything they were telling him was go to war in Southeast Asia. And Kennedy, at one point, had one of his aides 
figure out how many American personnel do we have in Southeast Asia and how many have been killed so far. And they gave him the numbers. And the numbers were not the numbers the CIA had given him. And that's when he knew they were lying to him. They were trying to get him to go into Laos, and he wouldn't do it. And then he signed in 1963 an executive order that would bring back the remaining, what were then a very limited number of troops, but in his opinion, too many, American troops in Vietnam. They were advisors. Does that sound familiar? And I think about three or four weeks after he signed that, he was killed in Dallas. I don't know if that was connected or not. But when he was killed, that was the salvation of the CIA. That was the salvation of that complex, that war hawk state within a state. There was never any, any more, no, no president again ever like tested the CIA. He had threatened at one point. He was so frustrated after Bay of Pigs, he said, I'll, I'll shatter it into a thousand pieces and cast it to the wind. He was so frustrated. It wasn't that he didn't think we needed intelligence or espionage, but he didn't trust the, the, the structure that had grown up around it, the people that were doing it, the culture of it. He didn't like to be lied to. Who does? Notice, though, that once he died, Johnson, Nixon, everybody's all in on this stuff and have been ever since, until Trump, until Trump. So I just wonder if um, when, you, when you think about, um, when you hear people talk about Ukraine, when you hear people talk about, oh, yeah, military in Mexico, I, I have become a reflexively opposed to that, not because I'm some kind of peacenik or I want to turn the Pentagon into a, playground or something I'm, I'm for a strong military i want us to have the best i want us to be able to project power in, in our interests but i am not looking for foreign wars and i think there are people in our government who go shopping for them constantly and they're always going to have one to prepare and and present to you because another good thing about wars besides the fact that a lot of people make a lot of money off them is when politicians get us into a war, we forget all the other stuff they promise to do and all the other stuff they're supposed to be doing. No one pays any attention anymore, right, to their performance in all the other things they talked big talk about. When, it's, when, when war is on, everything else is off. That's not the reason they love it. You think about it. Going to check the uh, Jack chat line right here. That's our uh, 24-7. Use it anytime. It's for podcast listeners. It's for live show listeners where you leave your first name, your city, and your comment about anything. We play them back. The Jack chat line is 210-599-5550. Let's see what we have. This is Craig in Pipe Creek, and I'm calling to respond to your earlier uh, discussion about the uh, chaos, my word. Uh, expanding rapidly in the country, and I agree with your earlier caller, I believe from Guatemala, that stated when the virus uh, trumped a lot of the constitutionality rights that most of us understand and believe we have, that was the beginning, followed up by the 2020 election and very um, questionable, shall we say, activity by states uh, changing election laws, we have to because of the virus, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then 
midterm, recent midterm election and continued chicanery. I'm looking at you, Arizona. It's almost as if the people in power no longer fear the voter. And then we have today's Supreme Court decision, which you just discussed, that indicates a judge, a person, a people, in a black robe can not only overturn the people's will, but a legislature's will, because the person in the black robe, the judge, doesn't like what they decided. Again, it's pretty clear that those in power no longer fear the voter. I would say we're in deep water here. Thank you for listening. All right. Thank you, uh, Craig. Appreciate that. Uh, Let's check another one here on the Jack chat line. Hey, Jack. uh, My name's Mike Burley. I live in Augusta, Georgia. I have listened to you almost every day or pick up your podcasts uh, since I lived in San Antonio several years ago, and I I love your show. So on the uh, student loan debt, um, my wife and I didn't go on vacations. We didn't buy an expensive home. We had used cars, and we paid for our daughter's education at a private school to the tune of about $120,000 about 10 years ago. My daughter decided to go to uh, graduate school, and her uh, loan balance uh, was $165,000, and then surprisingly, she had a couple of years of uh, interest, made it 175. And again, she, like us, she did not party a lot. She didn't buy an expensive car. Uh, she went right to work, um, worked a lot of overtime, a lot of overtime, and uh, she paid that off in five years, and we're very proud of her. So I don't think, I think kids can go into the military for scholarships, uh, they can go into the trades, and I think that the schools have uh, so beefed up their administration uh, costs uh, because starting in the Obama administration, when the loans uh, now were handled by the government, um, it inflated costs because everybody gets a loan. So I think that they ought to pay it back, and I, uh, and I feel very strongly about that. Okay, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Mike, thank you. In Augusta, Georgia. And you can hit the Jack Chat line from anywhere, anytime, 210-599-5550. Coming up, we're going to get the results on the JR poll powered by River City Oral Surgery. And I'm going to play a song for you that I bet you have not heard. Not many people yet have heard it. Even though it was recorded in 1979. And it was recorded by Steely Dan. Now you're saying, Jack, I'm a, I'm a classic rock uh, fan. I, 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 I have my Steely Dan albums. I've listened to Steely Dan all my life. What do you mean? Well, there's been a, in the Steely Dan uh, fan universe, there's been kind of this holy grail or, or legend or whatever uh, about how the band at the height of their fame was in the studio and had recorded a song. The name of the song, by the way, is Second Arrangement. Second Arrangement. And a studio engineer accidentally erased it when it was finished. And that is true. Um, and so it was almost completed. They had only to add a fade and mix in a little bit of horn. But otherwise, the song was done. This guy erased it. It was a fiasco. They tried in vain to uh, salvage it with uh, some backup uh, recordings, but those were made at a much lower speed back then. And when they tried to uh, 
overdub it and improve it. It just wasn't good enough. The band kept trying to cut the song again, but if you know anything about Steely Dan, about Walter and Donald, they were maniacs, and they just didn't feel like they got it. They nailed it. Uh, and so after years of trying, they scrapped it. There was a guy who worked uh, in the uh, studio. He was a technician um, named Roger Nichols. And he had a cassette that had a rough mix. And the story is that at some point, he, he took it home with him because he thought there'll be a better version of the second arrangement. We won't need this. So he took it home and he put it in a drawer and he forgot about it. And as I said, in the meantime, they, there wasn't a better version. There wasn't any other way to salvage uh, that song. And the band forgot about it and gave up on it. And um, he retired. And um, his daughters at this point, his adult daughters, found this cassette. And they recognized the name on the cassette. They knew the story of the second arrangement. But they still weren't really sure what to do with it. And they held on to it for a while. And one day, one of them posted it on Facebook. And people went crazy. And they still hadn't listened to it. But it turns out most of the song, the second arrangement, was on that cassette and still exists. And we're going to play it out tonight after we do the poll results. Do you hope the Supreme Court... Uh, kills the student loan debt forgiveness ordered by President Biden. 96% said yes. 96% yes. 4% no. New JR poll when we go live tomorrow at 4 or find it anytime at KTSA.com. Probably any other band, if this terrible thing happened where a sound engineer erased a track, there'd be yelling and screaming and maybe somebody gets fired, but then you just, just do the song again, right? Steely Dan was maniacal when they were in the studio. I mean, there are stories about how they would spend an entire day uh, on one line of one song. Hours and hours of Donald Fagan just agonizing over a vocal. So when they couldn't get the second arrangement the way they felt they had it, they just gave up on it. Until now. Because it did survive on a cassette with all the limitations of, obviously, a cassette that is over 40 years old, and without all the things that were going to be in the final product. This was, by the way, when they were working on the album Gaucho, which is really one of the great albums of all time, and is Steely Dan at their peak. I mean, this is the album with Hey 19 and Time Out of Mine and Babylon Sisters. It's a great album. Um, but I want you to hear this, because even in its imperfection, this is a pretty damn good song, I think. So, for the first time in over 40 years, Steely Dan and the second arrangement. Just one red rose and a pen. 
です。